Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. With episode 260, really 260 episodes of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again. It is Thursday, so you know exactly what that means. We are here to break down everything that happened over the last week in the world of AEW and NXT. We have a loaded show today, and the Silver King is still on location for work, so we have to make this as expeditious a show as possible. So with that in mind, let me just take a moment and remind you that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast So please do not forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify, leave a five-star rating, and also on Apple, leave a review as well. Any five-star reviews that are written out on Apple Podcasts will get read right here on the podcast. And please do not forget to head on over to Twitter and give us a follow, at Getting Overcast. It's especially important to follow us on Twitter during pay-per-view or for WWE Premium Live Event Weeks. Uh, because we do a lot of extra stuff for you. Not only, of course, are we going to tweet about the WWE Royal Rumble on Saturday live as it's going on, but at 6.30 p.m. Eastern, 30 minutes before the WWE kickoff show, we will have a special live Royal Rumble pre-show on Twitter Spaces. Again, 6.30 p.m. Eastern. All of you get to get our last-minute predictions, thoughts. We'll discuss any news that goes down before the show. All in a 30-minute episode myself vintage Chris Vanini and at the end of that show we open up the mics and we give you guys the opportunity to ask questions share comments or just give your own predictions for the Royal Rumble so again follow us on Twitter at getting overcast and as I'm uh, mentioning that show let me just remind you what's going on here on Tuesday we posted our Royal Rumble 2022 ultimate preview we break down every match in depth give you predictions not only for the Royal Rumble but what we think is going to happen on the road to WrestleMania. We also talk about, of course, everything else that happened across SmackDown and Raw over the last week. And I almost said Sunday night, Saturday night, as soon as the Royal Rumble goes off the air, we will have an instant analysis podcast for you. And we will let you know on Twitter as soon as that is available, as soon after the Royal Rumble as possible. So a huge week of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, stuff we've already created and stuff we will still be creating before the week is out. But this week, of course, this show, I should say, is not about WWE, at least not WWE proper, not the main roster. It is about NXT and AEW. So let us get into today's show. As always, all of our episodes have timestamps, so if you only watch AEW or NXT and not both, hit the episode description and you can find out exactly where to skip to. But as always, I hope you guys are listening to the entire show. Even if you only watch one product, it's really good to know what's happening in the other. Uh, You know, AEW did have its special beach break show this week, and because of that, I'm going to lead off with AEW, but I will kind of give you a little bit of a preview as it really applies to both shows, uh, AEW and NXT. Um, I thought there was good wrestling on both programs. I didn't so much love the storylines and the overall products, the presentation that we got, And I got to tell you guys, maybe I'll talk about this a little bit more at the end of the AEW section, but Rampage is really starting to wear on me. So there may be some shifts in terms of my watching habits when it comes to Rampage. All right, let's start off with AEW again, episode descriptions for the timestamps. And let's go to the match that opened the show, uh, a Dynamite Beach Break, the TNT Championship Unification Ladder Match between Cody Rhodes and Sammy Guevara. 
Sammy took Cody out with a cutter over the barricade. Rhodes hit an absolutely absurd vertical suplex three rungs from the top of a really tall ladder. It looked awesome. Sammy later jumped from the top rope onto a top of a ladder before grabbing Cody for a cutter off another ladder in easily the spot, not just of the night or the show, but the entire week. I think it was the number one wrestling spot of the week. Cody then hit a crossroads uh, after, I think he got to the third rung of the ladder. Uh, Rhodes grabbed onto the belt holder with Guevara holding his waist. They both fell down. Fuego del Sol came out for really no reason. I I couldn't really pinpoint why. Uh, So Cody hit him with a tiger driver. Sammy took advantage with a tornillo and a GTH outside. Cody was propped up on a ladder across the ring apron and barricade as Sammy climbed to the top of the ladder and hit a senton that somehow, despite him landing it flush on Cody, didn't break the ladder under Cody. Uh, He climbed the main ladder in the ring. Rhodes immediately got up and followed him, uh, but Sammy used the belts to knock Cody off the top, and then he grabbed both of the titles to win. So there's two different ways you can look at this match. Do you want to look at it from an entertainment standpoint or a quality wrestling standpoint? And I think depending on what you wanted or needed out of this depends on what you thought about it. This was, and I don't think anyone can argue, a total and utter spot fest. And there was hardly any selling in the match, but especially no selling by Cody. But at the same time, it was an incredibly entertaining 25 minutes from start to finish. It was one of the better singles ladder matches that I can remember from a spot standpoint. Really inventive, exciting stuff. A lot of things we haven't seen before. I mean, doing that spot, jumping from the top rope, uh, from the turnbuckle to the top of a ladder and then hitting a cutter on someone off another ladder, who does that, right? Like, sure, I'm sure like Phoenix, Ray Phoenix could do it, or maybe back in the day, maybe Jeff Hardy would have attempted it or something like that, or Edge. But like, it really takes a special talent. And you guys know I am all about Sammy Guevara in AEW. He's one of my favorites. And this really did a good job showing off what he can do. And like I said, it was super entertaining, but you have to admit there really wasn't a match story. Cody didn't sell for the entire match and that did downgrade it in my eyes. So I put it at the low end of an A at 4.25 stars. And I think it was tied for the match of the week with AJ Styles and Austin Theory, but both are completely different. Originally I had given Styles and Theory 4.5 stars. I overgraded it. So I'm going to downgrade it a little bit. Both of them are at 4.25 Uh, Neither of them was substantially better than the other. They were just totally different, like I said. So really exciting stuff here. Another strong moment for Sammy to be in the spotlight. And he absolutely had to come out as the winner. If Cody won, I legitimately may not have watched AEW next week. Or I may have fast-forwarded every future Cody segment if he won here. So it made sense for Sammy to win. Again, super entertaining. A bit too much of a no-selling spot fest from Cody's standpoint in particular for me to go higher than I did. Adam McMonagle at Adam Mc314, he basically agreed with me. He said Cody sold nothing in that ladder match. I couldn't believe how obvious it came across to me, but he did no selling and Sammy was doing it all. I haven't been a huge Sammy fan, but that made him a star to me last night. I hope other people see him as a star as well, because for me, when you look at those those four pillars of AEW, to me, like not to disrespect the other two, to me, it's a two-pillar situation. It's MGF and Sammy. Like Jungle Boy, cool, you know, a talented wrestler, can't really cut a promo, Darby Allen, you guys know he was someone I was rooting for at the very beginning. Now, I just don't care about him at all. So for me, it's MJF, it's Sammy. Those are my two guys. Uh, on Dynamite, let's go to the main event. Adam Cole versus Orange Cassidy in a lights out match. Cole went to grab a chair from under the ring. When he pulled it out, Danhausen was dragged out along with it. 
that distracted Cole, allowing Orange to hit a tornado DDT. And AEW, after the show, I think it was Tony Khan, announced that they've actually signed Danhausen. So he is now all elite. Uh, Cole ate a Mishinoku driver through a couple chairs. There was a brawl outside as Orange hit beach break, I think it was, for a near fall. Then he hit Orange Punch, but couldn't capitalize due to a hand injury. Cole went for a low blow, but Orange was wearing a cup, so they didn't do the same finish three times in a row. That was good. Uh, So instead, Orange hit Cole with a Panama Sunrise for a near fall. They fought backstage with Cole putting Orange through Tony Khan's table in the back. I think it was with an attitude adjustment. Cole was then ready to do a Panama Sunrise from a really high angle, uh, like atop some scaffolding or a stage setup or something like that. He couldn't find Orange. And all of a sudden, Orange appears behind him. Uh, on this really tall stage, low blows him, then he hugs Cole, and Cole is just standing there, like, maybe kind of trying to wiggle out of it, but, I mean, you know, they're similarly sized, he could probably easily get out of a simple hug over the shoulders, which is what he was doing, so Orange, after like 30 seconds of them doing that, just, they fell together off the stage into some really thin plywood below, and Orange draped his hand over Cole to get the win, so Cole's first loss in AEW is an unofficial loss in an unsanctioned match, and it happened by complete happenstance. Like, just the fact that Orange happened to get his arm over him. So this wasn't a bad match, but it it's just not for me. This was like a high-budget independent wrestling match. It's kind of the best way I can put it. The effort was commendable, no doubt. I'm going to say 3.5 stars and a B for it. I'm just not sure what it accomplished. Also, apparently AEW signed Danhausen, which, you know... I I don't really know how to react to that. I know he's a darling for a lot of people. I'm just not sure how it actively helps AEW's roster. Like, this guy, because he's such a name and and requires entertainment to, to sell his character, he needs to be on TV consistently. So now you're taking time up from this massive roster that they've already signed for pure comedy. Now, if they use him mostly on Rampage or for the dark shows, um... Or he's just like this character that floats in and out of stuff. I guess maybe there's some value to him. And I'm not a hater of his. I certainly am not a massive fan by any means. But I get it. I get what he's doing. It's fun. There's a lot of people. He's built up a fan base. But to be on a major cable, you know, wrestling television show, of which there are two, you know, two companies doing it right now, it seems like it's a little bit of a stretch too far for me. So look, maybe they'll prove me wrong. And again, Dan Housen, talented. Just not sure that he totally fits what I would expect from AEW and the product they've been trying to put on. We're going to stay with Dynamite for these next few. Uh, CM Punk hit the ring dressed to fight. He showed off MJF's Burberry scarf, took some shots, and said it was time for MJF to fight. MJF teased the Cleveland crowd about fighting Punk on the show and instead said Punk will fight MJF next week in Chicago. MJF ranted on Punk leaving his fans in the lurch, no showing an event in Cleveland, and likely no showing the next event in AEW after MJF beats him and ends his career. Punk called MJF a fan, and they went back and forth more. None of it was massive in terms of landing. Uh, Punk was all high and mighty and said MJF never backs up his words, which actually is false because MJF always wins. He barely has any losses in AEW. Then Pinnacle was randomly back together. I mean, I know they never broke up, technically, but we haven't seen them together in a really long time. Well, they got back together for the first time in months with FTR, Sean Spears, and Wardlow all ambushing Punk. Spears hit a chair shot, Cash Wheeler choked him out with MJF's scarf, and then Wardlow hesitated at first, but powerbombed Punk into a chair. MJF then sat cross-legged on his chest and said he'd end Punk's career in Chicago. So my biggest issue with this entire thing 
was that there's a whole locker room of people back there who idolize Punk and have teamed with him. Darby Allen, Sting, whoever. I know technically they weren't on the show. But none of those people are saving CM Punk from a five-on-one beatdown like members of the Dark Order, Hangman Page, you know, Jurassic Express. Like, no one's going to save this guy. I thought that was extremely weird for a legend to just be left out there. It didn't make any booking sense. And even the crowd, I got to say, maybe I misread the crowd. They didn't seem that into it. The promos fell a little bit flat to me. It's like this thing hit its apex three weeks ago, and it's just been on a downward trend ever since because how much are you going to keep building to it? And I mentioned this to you guys like a month, month and a half ago. They started it way too soon. Now, if they are paying it off in Chicago and this is going to be the match and they're not going to fight at the pay-per-view, then okay, maybe the timing was appropriate. I'm with it. But I still feel like this is going to be a revolution match, and I don't think it's really going to happen in Chicago. So if that's the case, it really just goes back to what I was saying. You know, AEW, because its pay-per-views are so far apart, give people intermediate feuds for four to six weeks and then start building for the pay-per-view. You don't need to do it immediately after the previous one ended. Again, this was not bad. I want to be very clear. Next week, I think, will be awesome if they do fight. I'm just done with the talking between the two at this point. It's, It's too much, and it's repetitive. And that's really the worst part of it. Uh, we had Wardlow beat up two jobbers. I didn't even catch their names. Wardlow hit a ton of power bombs and did a stacked pinfall. Spears didn't accompany him to the ring. He came out afterwards with a chair. Never swung it. Never even got in the ring. I thought that was strange. And as I said last week, they just got to move forward with Wardlow. They got to move him past jobbers at least to the low card at a minimum. Hangman Adam Page and Lance Archer cut dueling taped promos. Page was told by a producer that Archer set a Texas death match, and he just accepted it as if the challenger gets to make the decision. Then he said he officially accepted the challenge after that. I know this is just like an in-between feud before Revolution, at least. You know, that's what it seems to be. But it has been booked terribly to this point. And again, there's still zero reason for Archer to be the number one contender. He just came back. He hadn't won anything. He's never had a successful feud, and now he's fighting for the title. I don't like it. Hopefully this is not long and drawn out and Paige just gets a really good win over a really strong opponent, you know, in terms of size, strength, presence, things like that. On Rampage, we had John Moxley versus Ethan Page. Mox was put on a table outside that was so gimmicked it collapsed under his weight without anything happening. Page hit an avalanche power slam. Mox then won with a bulldog choke. Uh, Page recovered like one second after the finish. Mox then hit a paradigm shift and that is how it all ended after the bell. This was pretty much fine is the best way to put it. Uh, Brian Danielson was waiting for Mox afterward and Mox looked at him and then walked away. So I have to presume we're going to get Danielson and Moxley at Revolution, which obviously is going to be a banger. But what I would like is some type of storyline here, consummate to the significance of the match. I assume if there is a storyline, it's going to be heavily WWE referenced, you know, or both of them, you know, having really good careers and giving it all up to be something more to the world of wrestling. I I don't know what they're going to do, but certainly Mox and Danielson is going to be exceptionally good and very an exciting booking that I am looking forward to and is one of those money matches that would get you to buy Revolution if maybe otherwise you wouldn't. Uh, On Dynamite, uh, Chris Jericho, Santana, and Ortiz fought 2.0 and Daniel Garcia in a six-man. The storyline was Santana and Ortiz didn't really want to tag Jericho into the match, So Jericho eventually jumped off the ring apron in protest, but he did hit an illegal Judas effect behind the referee's back, and then Santana added a pile driver for the win. Jericho made his exit separately from, you know, his inner circle teammates. 
The match was nothing special. They're clearly, though, developing a storyline here, so it's just a wait-and-see scenario to, you know, determine where it goes. And is the inner circle going to break up? What's going to happen to Santana Ortiz? Are they going to turn heel, attack Jericho? Is he going to turn on them? You know, Sammy's off now, TNT champion, doing his own thing. Doesn't seem to have much inner circle backing. Jake Hager, where the hell is he? I don't even know the last time I saw him. So inner circle seems to have dissipated, but maybe not. You know, maybe that's part of the storyline. On Rampage, Nick Jackson fought Trent Beretta. Jackson did a really cool Pendulum Canadian Destroyer. He also had a 450 splash for a near fall. Trent then caught him with strong zero for the win. This was a very indie wrestling match, way more so even than Adam Cole and Orange Cassidy. This was just not to my enjoyment level. There's something strange, by the way, also about Trent since he returned. It, it almost looks like he's emaciated or something. He's just so thin and he's fit, don't get me wrong, and the guy still has muscle mass and stuff. But there's just something about the overall look that is off to me, and I can't really put my finger on it. There's also really no storyline development or anything else that came out of this. So, you know, fun enough, but again, nothing that needed to be for me on television. On Dynamite, House of Black got a video package with Malachi Black introducing Brody King, who said Pac disrespected their house, and both he and Death Triangle would pay for it. It was a very cool presentation. Uh, want more of this. I, I want it deeper and I want longer vignettes and video packages and, and storylines with Malachi Black and Brody King because there's really something here if they lean into it and I hope they do. Uh, also on Dynamite, Britt Baker was in the ring with plaques and printed copies of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. She sung her accolades while cutting a total cheap heat promo against Cleveland and the Browns that landed really flat. She repeated three different times that she's better in one way or another than Baker Mayfield. She's a better Baker than Baker Mayfield. Uh, she walked out holding a terrible towel because she's a Steelers fan. It just feels like AEW has no idea what to do with Baker. She's their damn women's champion, and they can't book anything for her that's substantial on television. Almost every week, it's her just talking for a short period of time. This time, they did a long period of time in the ring instead of a short period of time backstage. But most notably, and I did get a, a DM about this, so I'm going to give you my comment and I'll read a DM. They didn't have anyone come out. They didn't have someone stand up for Cleveland and become a challenger for her championship. It was just monotonous. I like Britt a lot, but her booking with AEW is doing her no favors whatsoever. They got her over, but ever since they got her over, they've done nothing with her, and that's disappointing. Uh, regarding that comment, Mick Foley's Missing Teeth, MFMT 1982, uh, he wrote in, What is AEW doing? They missed two simple chances to get massive pops last night. We all know Wardlow is going to turn on MJF eventually. They've been teasing it for over a year and even more the last few weeks. Why not do it in his hometown? If he helped Punk, the roof would have blown off. Also, what the heck was the point of Britt getting so much sheep heat about Cleveland if that wasn't to set up having Thunder Rosa or whoever they want to be the next challenger come out? She was running down Cleveland and the crowd was chanting for the Browns. Anyone that came out would have been the biggest babyface in the company. It was still a good show, AEW, but it could have been great. I think that's just... A very succinct way of putting it. I don't know that you needed Wardlow to do that. Teasing it, knowing that it was his hometown, and him not doing it may have even been a little bit better. Uh, but the Brit thing is just completely unacceptable. It's really inexcusable the way that they don't book her is really the best way to put it. Uh, on Rampage, we had a TBS championship match. Jay Cargill against Anna Jay. Cargill escaped the Queen Slayer submission, caught a roundhouse kick, hit a one-arm powerbomb, and won with Jaded. This was the main event, but half the match happened during commercials. It was nothing special, as usual, with Jade's matches. On Dynamite, Nyla Rose was angry. She grabbed the mic and said she should be the TBS champion if it wasn't for Ruby Soho. Then she demanded a match. I'm not being short. That's literally 
as long as the segment was. She got a 20-second live promo in front of the crowd. It was just terrible. Uh, on Dynamite, we had Red Velvet against Layla Hirsch. Velvet broke an armbar with the ropes. They had a few counters, and then Layla won with a roll-up. Hirsch attacked after the bell with an armbar, and Chris Statlander made the save without touching her. Horrible match. Typical post-match booking. On Rampage, Mercedes Martinez and Thunder Rosa cut those dual-tape promos where they somehow know what each other is saying despite not talking to each other. Martinez basically said she had no specific motivation for attacking Rosa other than that she wanted to. And I just thought that was stupid. And then lastly, on Rampage, Hook fought Serpentico. Hook attacked before the bell, hit a high-collar suplex, and won with Red Rum in one minute. So it was a total squash. QT Marshall came out to rant, so Hook suplexed him, stepped over him, and left. I continue to love the presentation of Hook. I think we were enough at this bottom basement thing. The QT Marshall match should be a real match. Like, that should be 10 minutes, 12 minutes. I want to see what this guy can do. QT is obviously accomplished enough where he can give him that opportunity, but they got to move on from these really quick, short things that they're doing, the squashes, if you want to call them that, and give him some real competition. I like the idea of QT Marshall being real competition, but it does also show the fact that Hook is going to beat QT, I guess, next week or, or pretty soon, that QT had never had no business being in a significant, sometimes main event feud with Cody Rhodes. It just, it was never purposeful, never should have been on TV. Um, it, this goes to show that. The fact that he went from that to this, is all you really need to know. And lastly here, I do have a DM slide from Sean Graham. You guys were hot and heavy hitting AEW last night, which I thought was surprising. Usually we don't get you know this much criticism of AEW. Uh, sgram628 on Twitter. Silver King, I've only really watched WWE and NXT since coming back to wrestling in 2012. I've tried to give AEW a shot, especially last night with Beach Break. I'm just struggling to enjoy it. The latter match had some cool spots, but there was an extreme lack of selling and that the moves hurt. And I know WWE does the slow climb up the ladder. That's dumb. But to pop up after a move and immediately run up the ladder is also dumb. In other matches, constant outside distractions or run-ins took me out of it. I've been a fan of Britt Baker back to her indie days in Pittsburgh. And being from Pittsburgh, I hate Cleveland as much as anyone. But her promo dragged on and was borderline annoying. I also don't get Orange Cassidy and the spot of Danhausen coming from under the ring and people just losing their mind. Help me, Silver King. I'm trying to like other stuff since WWE hasn't been great lately. Or am I just getting old and outgrowing my love of wrestling? I don't think it, you're outgrowing wrestling or you're getting old. Those criticisms that you made, uh, I don't totally agree with the Danhausen one, but the other two are legit. I mean, there's things that you just heard me say on this show. So I think you're actively evaluating the product that you're seeing well. There's many episodes of Dynamite that are far, far, far better than the one we got on Wednesday night and then the episodes of Dynamite that we've gotten recently. And you just never know when they're going to come. That's the, that's the weird thing. All of a sudden, you get one that's almost perfectly written and perfectly scripted and booked. And other times, you get things that have a lot of holes in them. And, you know, I think AEW is probably more consistent than any other show right now. But even though it's more consistent, it's not consistently the number one show in terms of my enjoyment level every week. And that's where I think they need to get. They have the roster. Um, when they book and they really give deep you know, effort into something, the Hangman Adam Page storyline, for example, they can absolutely knock it out of the park. And they do a lot of things that WWE does not do. But they also make many of the same mistakes that WWE does. And they make a ton of mistakes that WWE, over, you know, its multi-decade existence, has learned from and doesn't make anymore. 
AEW is still making those as a young company. So, you know, that's why, uh, you know, since the beginning of this podcast, when we started talking AEW, people would argue with me all the time, Silver King, you're too hard on AEW, you criticize them too much. Uh, no, I'm just being honest. I'm treating, what I did was I treated AEW just like I treated WWE. I look for the good, I look for the bad, I look for the ugly. And on every television show, even NXT 1.0, the black and gold, which you guys know is my favorite program, uh, favorite brand for a long time, they had good, bad, and ugly too. Wrestling's not perfect. No show should be perfect or can be perfect, but we want it to be as good and as entertaining as it possibly can be. And some of these individual things are unforced errors. The Cody no-selling, did not. he did not need to no-sell in that match. Rip Baker not having someone come out and challenge her uh, or maybe cutting that promo shorter so it didn't waste as much time, that didn't have to happen as well. They easily could have booked around that. So these are decisions that are being made that are bad decisions. And that's what we're calling out in this spot. Uh, let's move on. Uh, that's enough for AEW. Let's move on to NXT, where a lot did happen on this show. Uh, again, when I say good, bad, and ugly, we're going to get through good, bad, and ugly. Uh, so Santos Escobar cut a promo with Legado del Fantasma saying Braun Breaker has been overinflated and his family isn't impressive because Santos has the same bloodline with Fantasma. Uh, Escobar said he despises how many opportunities Braun got at such a young age and that he won the title before Escobar did. Braun answered telling Escobar, Cayete, which means shut up, and that really popped the crowd. Uh, it popped me too. I thought that was pretty funny for him to say that. He told Escobar to make a challenge, but Escobar said he operates on his own time. Legato attacked, but Braun wiped them out. Later, Escobar said Braun needs to find a partner or fight Legato two-on-one to pay for what he did. Uh, Legato tried to attack Braun in the parking lot when Tommaso Ciampa, with a fully dark beard, got his back and then dapped him up to end of the show, and that match is going to happen next week. Uh, NXT announced a Vengeance Day TV special, so my assumption is Braun and Escobar will be the main event of that. None of these, though, were particularly notable segments. You guys know I like Braun. You know I love Santos Escobar. I'd say they got the job done. Escobar is a clear main eventer. He keeps showing that, but his promos here were kind of low energy. It felt like maybe they were overly scripted. It just didn't land the way his prior promos have. And seeing Ciampa alongside Braun was really strange, especially so soon after he dropped the NXT title. Why is he so quick to get his back, unless maybe he's turning heel or something like that? Also, Champa with the dark beard, he dyed it because he has been making some dark match appearances for WWE. So I'm not exactly sure if they tested him out there and they said, and eh, now we're not going to call you up, so why don't you go back? And now they're fitting him into the storyline. Or if he's doing both, I don't know exactly what's happening. I will say... The grizzled beard, the more with a lot of gray in it, it looks better. But the dark beard didn't necessarily look bad. So, you know, Champa, glad to see him back on NXT TV. Uh, we got someone else that returned to the show as well, who was also doing some matches for WWE main roster dark matches. Um, I don't know what's happening with them. And it was kind of curious to see them back. So we will certainly find out in the near future. Uh, Cameron Grimes fought Tony D'Angelo for a number one contendership for the North American title. This was even early in the match. Grimes hit a Spanish crossbody for a near fall. D'Angelo came back with an exploder suplex into the corner for a 2.5. Grimes slipped but hit a moonsault plus a running knee and a high crossbody for a two count. Grimes grabbed D'Angelo's hat, distracting the referee, as Pete Dunne, that's the second person I was talking about, ran in from the crowd and destroyed his hand with a kendo stick. Grimes then caught D'Angelo with a cave-in for the victory, and he got the title match at Vengeance Day. It was a strong main event. I would say 3.25 stars in a B. Very entertaining. Uh, two, we had two matches uh, for the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic. These were the quarterfinals. 
MSK and Jack at Time was the first one. Nash Carter did a Bronco Buster and later a standing shooting star press for a near fall. Ikaminjiro came back with an inverted sit-down pile driver for one of his own. Kushida caught Carter flying with a hoverboard lock, but he broke the hold in the corner, and MSK hit their springing floating blockbuster, still unnamed, over a year later, for the win. They bowed and shook hands after. It was a very fun match with four exciting wrestlers. There was a really weird concentration on close-ups by production that made it really tough to watch at parts. But other than that, the action was really strong and the right team won. I actually went 3.75 stars and a B plus, and I could see people enjoying it more than that. But the range is 3.5 to 4. It's right in that range. I split the difference 3.75. Uh, one team that already advanced, Idris Anofe and Malik Blade, they were really excited about moving on to the semifinals. Anofe said if they win, Blade should ask out Mandy Rose, and he'll ask out Toxic Attraction 2-on-1. It was kind of like fun and tongue-in-cheek, but it was also a really strange segment. I guess it just felt completely forced and like overly horny, you know, for no reason whatsoever, when they should really just be focused on the tournament, given they just advanced and they they are the upset special now, you know? So that's what they should be focused on. Uh, the other quarterfinal match was Grizzled Young Veterans and versus Andre Chase and Body uh, Hayward. I think it's Bodie. Bodie. Sorry, Bodie Hayward. Uh, it's an injustice, by the way, when GYV has a match and doesn't get to cut a promo on their way to the ring. I have no idea why they stopped doing that. Uh, the student section chanted C-H-A-S-E as he stopped James Drake. Chase went shoulder first into the announce table. Hayward got the hot tag, but GYV outsmarted them, hit a double simultaneous code breaker, and got the win. Obviously, the GYV was the right winners here. Now we have GYV versus Brothers Creed next week. That's going to absolutely rule. But I have no idea why GYV went away from Ticket to Mayhem, which is a far superior finisher to a double code breaker. Just, I don't get that. Uh, after that match, Von Wagner attacked uh, Hayward and Chase with a pair of Olympic slams. Robert Stone handed Wagner a blazer, saying he got him reinstated, and now he's under new management. You all know I loathe Wagner, but this was easily the best presentation of him thus far. I still don't think it's going to go anywhere. There was a Imperium video package with them saying they stand for pride and dominance, Walter said he was named after his grandfather, but to guide Imperium into the future, he needs to leave the past behind him with a new identity. This was basically to reestablish the name Gunther. Uh, it got the job done, I guess. I don't know that there's going to be a way to make people happy, but this was certainly a step in the right direction. Uh, Malcolm Bivens then called out Imperium and Gunther, talking about how Diamond Mine is going to tear them apart. Bivens made a six-man challenge for next week, a big money match. Everyone got to cut short promos. And this entire thing, I will say, was set up really nicely. Excited for that match next week. Uh, Bibbins, again, absolute star, main roster manager. Could have put him there a year ago. He would have killed it. Put him there now. He'll kill it. Uh, Toxic Attraction fought Kaylee Ray, Indy Hartwell, and Persia Parada. Backstage, Parada talked about her and Indy being ready to win the Women's Dusty Cup. KLR stepped in with her bat to say they would all stake their claims to the titles tonight. KLR did an Escalera cannonball outside onto the other women, and I think Mandy Rose's head may have hit the announce table. I'm telling you guys, there is not enough room at ringside. Everything is way too damn close. I'm glad they made floor seats. They need to pull back one row. It's really getting dangerous out there. I don't like it. KLR swung and missed with her bat a few times. She eventually chased Mandy from ringside. Parada then booted Gigi Dolan in the face and hit a really cool fireman's carry swinging X-Factor for the win. I'd say this match exceeded expectations, but expectations were admittedly pretty low going in. It's strange that NXT is putting so much focus on Parada when Hartwell has a much 
higher ceiling. But they're, they've completely switched the focus of that team, and I don't understand why. But this was a fine match that served its purpose, nothing special. We had Solo Sokoa against Boa in a no-disqualification Falls Count Anywhere match. Sokoa had Samoan uh, Tribal Ink on his face in a tribute to Umaga. I thought that was really awesome. Boa attacked Solo with a kendo stick. He had a butterfly suplex into a trash can. They fought backstage with ladders by the garage door. Boa threw Sokoa through a door, but it locked, so he tore open the garage door. Sokoa then caught him with a fire extinguisher and weapons back in the ring, plus a Samoan drop into an announce table. Then he set up a table in line with the desk and splashed Boa off the top rope through the table with the Uso splash for the 1-2-3 at ringside. Was this the greatest street fight ever? No, of course not. But it was easily the best match of both of these guys' careers, especially Boa, and the final spot was exceptionally strong. Kudos to both guys for going at it. Sokoa, again, could have been part of Bloodline yesterday. I would love to see this guy get called up. He does not need to be in NXT. I went 3.25 stars in a B. If you went slightly higher, I would be okay with that. Grayson Waller cut a promo on LA Knight, reintroducing his new bodyguard as a Secret Service agent named Sanga. He indicated that Knight would have to get through Sanga before he fights him, and at least I think that's what he said. There just wasn't much to that. Uh, Io Shirai fought Tiffany Stratton. Zoe Stark told Io she's been rehabbing at full blast but won't be ready in time for the Women's Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic. Io said she didn't want a new partner, and Zoe took that to mean that they were friends. Then they had a really fun back and forth before Stratton walked in and said she beats Shirai, and Io just ranted at her. I think it was in Japanese. Uh, Stratton got some counters early, but Shirai dominated down the stretch and won with the moon over Moonsault. It was a perfect way to book the match. Stratton was able to show some skill, and she was able to flash a little personality, but the veteran won easily and dominantly. That's exactly how these NXT matches should go. Stratton was complaining to quote-unquote daddy on her phone uh, after the match when Wendy Chu told her it was okay because everyone loses to Io. Stratton slapped a drink out of her hand, so I presumed that those two were going to fight at some point. Corey Jade again tried to get Raquel Gonzalez to team up. Gonzalez explained that Jade jumping off a cage doesn't mean she's ready for a grueling gauntlet like the Dusty Cup. Cora said she wanted to prove it to Raquel, tried a slap, but got caught by her. And I do like how they're actively trying to develop teams and make sense of pairings that are going to be in this tournament, as opposed to just throwing them together, like they did for some of the men's teams. That foresight to book the entries into the tournament, that's appreciated. And Jade and Gonzalez have a really cool dynamic going between them. I think they're going to fight next week with the purposes of Jade kind of showing off to Gonzalez. I hope that's a real match. Like, I hope they actually fight Gonzalez wins, but she wins and is impressed by her and decides to team up with her. That would be the ideal situation. Uh, Duke Hudson fought Guru Raj. Hudson won a total squash match with the Razor's Edge. His look is massively improved, getting away from that idiotic poker gimmick. Uh, wearing all black now, he has a shaved head. Dante Chen ran into attack as retribution for Hudson's attack last week. Hudson took out his knee, and I presume they're going to have a match in the next week or two. Nothing to add to this. And lastly here, and you guys probably knew that this was coming. Some woman named Ali J performed. She walked out of a black SUV with Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams, and she was showing off, well, uh, her assets. She's got me saying, hey now! Then later, they introduced her And she performed live on top of a track in the ring while they aired a completely unrelated video package from the main event. 
Look, we're here to evaluate what we see on these shows that we watch. So I'm going to break this down, even though it wasn't wrestling. The song, the track, whatever you want to call it, was fucking atrocious. The lyrics were simplistic, the beat was amateurish, and her performance was insanely low energy. This is not anyone where if I am running a company, WWE, NXT, whatever, and someone is pitching for their musician or you know rapper or whatever the case to be on my show, they're going to send a sample over, not just of the song, but usually of a performance. You look at it and say, hey, is this good enough for my air? This was not. Nothing about this was good. She's basically an Instagram model who had someone else probably pay for her studio time. This was terrible. And it was a massive step down from Poppy. And by the way, I actually like rap. Like it's my preferred music. And whatever Poppy does, the heavy metal or however you want to categorize that, it's not for me. But I would go to a Poppy concert and sit row one before I sat in a room and listened to another Ollie J song out of Spotify or something like that. Holy shit, was this thing bad. Zero point zero. Zero point zero, Mr. Blutarski. I mean, it is one thing. If you want to shove a musical performance onto a show, or if you're Nick Khan and you have some type of relationship and you need to do a favor for someone, at least make it someone who's damn entertaining and talented in any way. None of what she did had required talent. Zero percent of it. It was just as bad as anything I've ever seen in terms of a wrestling performance like that. Like someone coming in to do a song or to do something like that. uh, Something special that's outside of the actual performance of wrestling. It's as bad of any special appearance I've ever seen. Uh, Never have her back. Never do that again. If you gotta shove someone on my television, at least make them have some form of talent. She had absolutely zero point zero talent so that was it this week in nxt and of course aew as well like i said we have an absolutely loaded week here at the getting over wrestling podcast we will of course be back one week from now with our next aew and nxt episode but between now and then we will have of course saturday 6 30 p.m eastern live on twitter spaces a very special wwe Royal Rumble pre-show. It starts at 6.30. It ends before the official WWE kickoff show, so be sure to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast and join that Twitter spaces. Saturday, as soon as the Royal Rumble goes off the air, we will, of course, have the WWE Royal Rumble instant analysis. We'll break down everything that happens, not only in the Royal Rumble, but as the road to WrestleMania begins. And on that note, if for some reason you still have not heard our Royal Rumble ultimate preview, go back in our show archives. It's from this week, Tuesday. Be sure to listen to our Royal Rumble Ultimate Preview. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Do not forget that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is So leave those five-star ratings for us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a five-star review for us on Apple Podcasts as well. Let people know how much you love the show. And be sure to tune in with everything else we got coming for you before the end of the week. That is it for today. Like I said, we will be back on Saturday with two shows, one live, one instant analysis for you. But at this point, the Silver King is just going to leave you with three final words. Bye for now.